A dangerous one. Oh, why is that, Rob? Why well, be- is it dangerous? Well, because I have a co-host that likes stupid jokes and puns, and we have a band that lends itself to that sort of thing. What's the band we have this week, Seth? Why, it's Big Something. Uh... Great band. Very much up and coming. Up and coming. Oh, I'd love to see them up at the coming, but they're too big. Up at my, that room I love. Steve Barrow's room. What's it called? Good old days. I'd love to see them there, but too late for that, unless they get a weeknight or something. But uh, Big Something is very much growing very fast. Very cool, danceable sound. Released some great records. Their current one, Tumbleweed, is fantastic. We talk about that. We, uh, we talk about this fella, Pinky, that's mentioned in a bunch of their songs. So when you... Uh, at least in two of their songs, but that's... Uh, we asked him about that as well. Correct, Seth? This was a different interview, right, Seth? Well, it was... It was very laid back. It was very, very laid back. The guys came in. They were, they were laid back. Yeah, I mean, they had, this is the thing. They, they were embarrassed because they had uh, one of them had said in the elevator on the way up that how we didn't really want to do the podcast in front of our engineer, and not we, knowing it was our engineer, right? Not knowing it's our engineer, which is funny, but that's not something you should take personally because as as fun as the musician world seems, these guys are out on the road working. It gets tired, it gets cumbersome, it gets tedious. Yeah. They had a big night the night before. They had a big set. So I mean they came in, they came in strong and they gave us they gave us time, which right. is nice. But it's totally understandable. Definitely one of the looser interviews and yeah. um fart jokes were, are not understandable, but that, but not being excited to Well yeah. you we had to do a lot of, Mm-hmm. You were you were also like you were fed into it like you know you were cracking. Uh, well, here's what happened that we didn't even know who we were getting until they showed up, and then it's like the whole band well, you shows knew it up. Was going to be big something, right? But we didn't who. know which members, so it was difficult to prepare for. It was not advanced well. We didn't have enough mics to prepare for them, so I'm sitting on the floor with a handheld that you and I are sharing, and the band's passing around. It wasn't even really clear who was who, uh, other than the obvious. I mean, Nick McDaniel's is the man. I mean, I'm a Nick McDaniel's fan. I knew exactly who he was, but you know, the drummer who's who's um. Seems like a real funny guy, one out of 20 remarks, but the other 19 you have to kind of wade through. Kind of like... Do you know anyone like that? Kind of like... I don't know. I can't think of anyone. But um, Jesse Hensley we talked to a a good bit, the lead guitarist. And um, seriously, this is a great band, and they are very much on their way. Very much on their way. No doubt about that. And you'll hear about that at the end of the interview where we bring in Lee... Crumpton from uh, Homegrown Music Network, who talks in depth about that. You know, when I went and saw him at the festival, which one was this, Shaking Ease, or was this 420 where they were at? It was 420, remember? Because we gave them Terrapin beer at the That's Sweetwater right. 420 festival. We couldn't get beer out of Sweetwater, but I'm not a complaint. 
Uh, it's a weird thing when you do a festival in the in in your hometown where there's distributors and all that. It was it was a. What he's trying to say is it's weird when you do a beer festival and you can't give the beer from the the sponsor. But the thing is, the sponsor is totally different. It's, right. uh, it's 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 not like the it's harder brewery it, is actually it, the one putting on the festival. Exactly. It's also Georgia law doesn't really. It's tricky stuff. Yeah. But Spike from Terrapin's a personal friend of ours and a, and a fan of Big Something and the other acts that we were interviewing on that day. So he brought us a bunch of beer and and they got to. Uh, enjoyed that and imbibe and they had already imbibed by the time they showed up so it's it's a little bit of a party atmosphere i'd really like to get them again uh, particularly nick i'd like to sit down with nick maybe on the timeless podcast up in chapel hill maybe which by the way our heavy metal episode with jake and ryan from, your heavy metal episode i consider you part of it you're a, a spiritual oh, inspiration thanks for that. yeah Oh, my God. No puns in this episode, by the way. And uh, Kevin Castles from Asheville, North Carolina, who knows those guys and knows metal really well, and Jake and Ryan, and they're talking about metal. Jake Wait, has a Kevin good... was in that? I didn't know that. Yes, what Kevin you... was key. Oh, the... We went and we met so in So you Charlotte. guys are friends again. He, he likes you again. You finally got him on a podcast. Good job, Rob. For now. He'll hate me again soon. But, <laughs> right um, now he does. That. I always find a way to make him hate me. But uh, we'll, uh, we met at Charlotte. We saw them with Moon Taxi, which, by the way, Moon Taxi, oh. I love, I mean, they do, remember in our interview, they talk about how they adjust their set for the crowd? Yes. Well, they were stretching in front of, they did some stretching mm. and jam, and it was cool to see that side of Moon Taxi. They just dropped a new track that's uh, getting huge numbers on Spotify. Yeah, and I, I heard it on Sirius. Great track. Mm-hmm. I forget the name, though. But <laughs> it really sticks with you, this one. But I digress. Well, you know, I've been filling my head with so much music. It's all, it all rolls into one. Well, hey, Rob, thank you for uh, your patience last week. <clears throat> Oh, we're going to talk about Mama? Yeah. Mama uh, gave us a scare. That's not cool, Mrs. Weiner. Yeah, she uh, had Don't a scare us like that. Clotted artery. Went in for... Well, we were at Humphreys McGee, um, which we were, had a great interview in that after, that evening. Uh, I find out right before the interview, my mom's in ICU. Long story short, clotted artery. Uh, I fly down to Florida. She's in the ICU for uh, like five days. The surgery is going to happen, not going to happen. She finally has a surgery. And uh, I, I got to tell you the story. She gets out of surgery, right? And for, mm-hmm. let, me, let me start by saying she's doing fine. Thank you for your concern. Uh, she's recovering well. And this is how well she's recovering. She gets out of, the, like, coming out of the anesthesia. The, the surgeon's like, Jane, Jane, can you see me? Open your eyes, Jane. And slowly my mother opens her eyes, and the first words out of her mouth to the surgeon are, did Marty eat? That's Seth's father, her husband. That's right. The 40, first thing she was concerned about was whether or not he ate. 49 years they've been married, just uh, last Monday. That's old school. That so is she's true, doing, true love. She's doing good. She's doing well, very well on her recovery, so thank God. Now, we have had our live event. We're not, this episode, we don't want to derail and, and take away and talk about our live event, but perhaps, uh, well, first of all... Uh, when will I hear the audio? Is that be another like three, four months before I hear the audio of it? We're going to do an episode around that whenever we get the audio, right? Yeah, we just need to discuss that on not on the air, and obviously. Then, but no, but what I'd like to do, remember how we did the little advance uh, mini podcast and just threw it out there before the live one? Oh, yeah. Maybe we could do that again and also do a quick update. Maybe we'll the- even call Mac up and from uh, Voodoo and talk to him about what he's been working on because him and Logic have been talking. They're going to do... Well, we'll we'll save it. We'll save it. Oh, I just saw them at... uh, Not aisle five. Yeah, aisle five. The old five spot. Oh, man, did they throw down a wonderful (laughs) set. Really good opening acts, too. I think that Big Something and Voodoo kind of like are... Well, I think obviously Big Something's much more ahead of the... Ahead on their progress, but they're, they're, they're the new gen. There's a there's a double bill that could happen there. Mm-hmm. Although Main Squeeze Rudo is also a nice little double bill deal. 
So big something coming at you here. Yeah, we're gonna we talked to Chris Myers and um, we did. We definitely talked. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Chris. We love Chris. He's a wonderful, amazing drummer. But it was here's Humphreys let us set up backstage, which was really nice. I think we've kind of annoyed a couple of them, and we're gonna have to back away and not ask them for anything for a while because they were so they gave us our own room at Chastain. I later learned, you know, the bathroom was in there. So the band members were walking all the way around to like out of their way so that they wouldn't interrupt us. I mean, they're very, very respectful and take our what we're doing here very seriously. We always appreciate that with Umphreys. But um, I don't know. It was a little chaotic. By the time we interviewed Chris, it was after Umphreys' first set. So um, Seth had uh, started in on his imbibing. You know, I actually was very tame, Rob. I've... I've uh... I'll admit that some of it was me. It was only the interrupting was only about seventy five percent you, so that's low for you. So I'll give you that. But we did step all over the poor guy. Let's tell you some things. First of all, there's a uh, a podcast out called "As the Story Goes or Grows." I don't know. On the Jam Base article, it says "goes," but then when they're talking, it says "grows." And Chris was on that, and there's a lot of stuff in there about his recent projects. To me, I'm just blown away that he works with Mike Keneally. I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan, and Mike Keneally was in the 88 touring band. Mike Keneally also headed up some of the greatest uh, Zappa tribute bands after that, and one which Zappa himself attended. I think the best band you've never heard in your life. I'm not sure on the names anymore. I'm sorry, but um, it is speaks volumes. That Mike Keneally repeatedly wants to work with Chris Myers because Mike, when you are used to working with musicians who work with Frank Zappa, you're used to very high level musicianship. You do not put up with half-ass anything. So that says a lot about Chris Myers. And he's also other side projects are like Ohm Free. Have you ever heard of Ohm Free? No. Yeah. Well, that's with Chris Poland of Megadeth. Have you heard of the, of the uh, North Indiana All-Stars? No. That's with Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction. No way. So people want to play with Chris. and, and um, Rightfully so. He's a hell of a drummer and a hell of a jazz cat at that. He's un, I mean, just the range, too. That's, that's a better way to say it. And he it. can sing, too. And it's not Sinatra. When we have him on, we'll talk about it. He's, he's more like the, um, the alter ego of Andy Kaufman, uh, Tony Clifton. Oh, yeah. That's more of his insp- inspiration. But we, we are going to have Chris on, if, if he'll allow us. I don't know. He's kind of pissed. He's not really responding to emails. And- we'll send him flowers. Uh, okay. All right. But September 8th. September 8th. He's playing with the Adrian Blue Whoa, yeah. Trio. Wow. Wow. You're familiar with Adrian Blue, right? I he, am. He actually toured with Humphreys. Did you know that in 2007? I vaguely Sat remember Sat in with that. him a bunch? I do remember the sit-ins, not the tour, but, um, but I don't follow Humphreys the way you do. No, and I do follow Which King Crimson, and they're stopping. coming. Unfortunately, they're not. Uh, Adrian's not with them, but the lineup's crazy. I didn't know that. You know, we might get Tony Levin. I don't know. I've been trying to. I haven't heard back from their publicist. So if their publicist is listening, will you please call me back, write me, send me something, tell me I exist? Yeah, really. These publicists that don't respond to email. I'm going to harp on this till the day. I mean, first of all, you. People can handle that themselves. They can. Some are amazing. Some are like, like sometimes they're still like working with the, their name's still on a website and they're not working with the band. They're like, hey, sorry, no work with that person. Talk to this person. Or, you know, some some are just really quick and, and nice and some just, you know, they're. Hey, any artist needs someone to not respond to emails. I will do it. You don't have to pay them 10%. I'll do it for a dollar a week. I will not respond to all your emails for one dollar a week. It's always funny when you go to these musicians too at these shows and you you, you say, Oh yeah, we were we wanted to do this interview and you know it didn't work out. What? I never heard about that. Yeah, musicians love it. Oh that. really? Because the I was told the band is uh not available for interviews. They're too busy. Right. 
Oh, we never heard about that. That's uh, that's not our publicist looking out for us. Anyway, let's not dwell on that. The Chris Myers uh, is going to be playing. Cl- no, Clutch Cargo is where one of the collabs happened. That was in Pontiac Mission way back in the day. The show with Adrian Ballou Trio. Mm-hmm. Sweetwater Performance Pavilion. Fort Wayne, Indiana, September 8th. Fort Wayne, Indiana. And there's not a lot going on in Fort Wayne, so if you live anywhere near there, I can't imagine what else you'd be doing. So we were able to lift a little teeny tiny bit out of this. And uh, so Chris will take us in. Any, any more thoughts? My only thought is before we give it to Chris, I, uh, listen, folks, if you're listening to this, take a minute, go online, do something for Houston. I want to just give a shout out to our friends and family and your friends and family and the people out there. Uh, you know, Mother Nature is a beast. We're, as Rob says, this is biblical. Uh, I mean, listen, this is the kind of weather that Noah would have built a fucking ark. So if you got some change in your pocket and help someone out or whatever you have that you can help out, it's time to be a community and, and do our part. And if you're a president, could you please focus on Houston and not tweet about uh, petty crap? <laughs> okay. Here we go. Here's Chris Myers. actually came across them out in Pittsburgh. I saw them play uh, with, you know, when I was out there with my girlfriend and we went out to go see them. Uh, and it was specifically a, to see them. Yeah. And so we reached you were out the to big something that night, huh? We reached you got out. tickets. You're like, yeah, hey, exactly. baby, come on, let's go see Big Summer. <laughs> but what prompted you to go see them? Uh, we, I think it was just because we played some shows. We had some shows. We didn't play with them yet, but we basically... Uh, were about to, and I was very curious about them. Joel and some other guys, I think, told me about them, and I finally I went to listen to them, and I really dug it. And I believe Ty- uh, Tyler's, uh, who's uh, Taylor, my girlfriend's brother, uh, Tyler told Taylor, me, told me about it. And oh, I think we he better, was. We one better of the cut guys. that out, man. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we uh, we basically, uh, you know. Went from there, and and I went to listen to them, and I I reached out to them, and I even got to play with them. It was really fun. I really think they're a great band, and they got a lot of potential. Because I'm not like totally tight with the band, but I kind of know these guys, and this is the first time, Chris. Which band? Uh, the um, 
Not white denim. What's the other? Humphreys McGee. Ah, um, um. <laughs> no, but seriously, this is the first time I've ever seen you so effusive about another. Usually it's a jazz thing, you know? Yeah, well, I, I, I like all kinds of music, of course. Sure. I just, I've been really excited to see younger bands in the scenes like right, but it doing something. things that are like kind of their own thing now. And it's like a new generation. I think it's great to see that, go, to see the go, development. Go back to what you just said, doing their own thing. So what stood out with of Big yeah. Something to you that is their own thing that... That, uh, that prompted you to want to actually get on stage and play with them. Yeah. I well, do believe you've jammed with them, haven't you? Well, I believe I have. <laughs> I have Raspberry. <laughs> you were so, there. I wasn't. I, uh, I basically thought that they were more kind of a, a 90s kind of grunge rock band. Like, that's kind of what they, they reminded me of. Like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, a little Atul, a little of this, a little, you know, Rage, a little. But their vocals are really nice and melodic. And, and um, you know, just good driving groove and uh it just reminded me more of that than anything and that's what drove me to it because i haven't really been a part of something like that in a long time uh or heard music like that in a while so i i was cool to see younger people doing that these days <laughs> well i think it's awesome that you're bringing bands like that on more importantly what you said and recognized will you help us go ahead because i don't know if we told you but we actually interviewed them a little while ago and we're yeah. about to go ahead this is where you are the lead into the episode right, will you we just please got the high on. sign we gotta wrap it up lead us say this is uh seth and rob with big something please okay. hey this is seth and rob with big something Big day here. Wait, big. Not just day. Oh, it's God, big something. Get out of town. <laughs> I want to say, I came out of... I, I, we were in here with... Seth's <laughs> teaching me how to hold the mic. I'm not used to hand-holding. Anyone want to hold hands? No, I went to the bathroom earlier, and I came out, and big something was in our room. Yeah. And our toilet was broken, and and you fixed it. Yes. <laughs> We're yes. good at fixing Jesse, Jesse was a plumber a before he was a like guitarist. That. All right, a couple things to get out of the way first. Uh, is anybody in the throes of a JBC withdrawal right now? All yes. of us. Anybody? All yep. of us. Every, Always? Every one of us. It's been at least a week since Every our day. last trip yeah. to Wendy's. The next time we interview, we will have Wendy's ready. I didn't real, I didn't learn that till today. We will be Wendy's friendly yep. the next time we talk. That would be fantastic. We're Rob, you can't say Wendy's and friendly's in the same sentence. <laughs> That's right. And I'm a Massachusetts guy. I should know that. Friendly's is, is a king up there. And real quick, before we dive into things, um, who was Pinky? Why was he running from the law and, uh, and, and end up in... Why did he end up in jail? 
They'll probably, mm. That question will probably defer to me. Uh, no, I'll answer it. I wasn't in the band at that point, so <laughs> probably shed some light on everything. That actually might be interesting. Reinterpretation. Songs do change over time. Uh, Nick? Go ahead. <laughs> Pinky is a fictitious character, uh, kind of like a Robin Hood meets neighborhood pimp type uh, dude. He's kind of like a good bad guy. Um, he's a, a figment of our lyricist Paul Internato's imagination. Um, and, and he goes on a <laughs> he goes on a crazy little escapade from DC to LA um, running from Johnny Law, his arch nemesis. It's kind of just like a big long crazy story. We have a few songs about it. Paul's not just a lyricist. He's involved in your in your art and in and, and, and a lot of elements of the band. But he's just not a member, right? Can you talk about Paul? Yeah. Uh, Paul is a great friend of mine that I've known since kindergarten. Um, he and I kind of started working on songs right as Big Something was starting to, to take form. And um, His last name? Interdonato. I-N-T-E-R-D-O-N-A-T-O. Did you learn that right when you joined the band? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's like right about as it had to spell the name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's for the listeners out there. Um, <laughs> no, that's so, cool. I, that's exactly what yeah. I thought when he said it. He's really just got this crazy imagination, and, and he and I a lot of the times will sit down and and work on the ideas and concepts for the songs. Um, and he's very involved with like the artwork and the identity of the band too. Um, so it's pretty cool having that outside. And influence. It, it is an it is an interesting identity. You, your first album is called Stories from Nowhere. Your new record is called Tumbleweed. The lead track of which I just read earlier today is about a post-apocalyptic desert setting where the character in the song is wandering aimlessly across a million miles of sand, trying to survive. Correct. Great stuff. It's like Jim Morrison kind of thing. And also the Passover story kind of resembles you, both. You didn't have any dreams about Indians, did you? All the time. In Florida. But seriously, that's sort what of... That was a trifle necessary to shove the crack in his bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Two things. For, uh, for listeners out there, if you can't see me, I'm vaping, which looks very cool. And I we can't, are vapor-friendly <laughs> podcast. And I can't tell if my mouth just tastes really bad because I haven't brushed my teeth or if this beer tastes like burnt hair. It is a... Terrapin Recreation Ale Session IPA. At the 420... I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, we tried to get Sweetwater. They couldn't come up with any beer for us, but that's the Terrapin Wreck Ale. I'm drinking the Walking Dead. It's delicious blood red orange, and we also have the High Five, which is my favorite. That's what I got. Yeah, so enjoy your Terrapin. But Sweetwater Fest did take care of us. It is a wonderful, amazing fest. It's not a distant Sweetwater, and they have a lot of great beer. 420, their 420 beer is, the, is a staple of our city. I mean, there are people who don't even like craft beers who know all about 420 and drink it all the time. It's been a staple of my life. Yeah, Jesse drinks oh, really? it. He's been yeah. drinking it in Burlington. For oh, yeah. It's Did you guys get to try beer. any of the collaboration beers they made? That no, one we was slightly We're... stupid and one with... Wait a second. Who was the other one with? Wasn't... Hmm. So was... Seth does not do research. <laughs> Was I, it thought us? It, I, I thought, thought it you were leading us second. into a I thought question. It was, I thought it was the big something, Rob. I thought it was their beer. But can we get back to that, though, about the being in the middle of nowhere and how that's a, a theme in your music? And, sure. and do you ever go to the middle of nowhere to compose? Uh, I mean, we do kind of live in North Carolina, and there, you know, there's a lot of rural, um, pretty beautiful country that we get to 
drive through a lot of the time. Um, Burlington, I-85, and, and I-40. You get both. Uh, just like Atlanta has I-85 and I-75, although it's a little broken, <laughs> a little broken right now. You have I-85 and I-40, man. We do. Mm-hmm. And 64 sometimes, depending on where you're going. 64, right. 52, 59. 64. 49. 70. And mother flipping Church Street. Yeah, Church Street. <laughs> 54. Tough town to come up as a band, though. There's not a lot of venues in Burlington. Yeah, but at the same time, North Carolina is an awesome place to kind of have as a home base because you can go pretty much out from the center of Burlington and hit, like, Asheville, Charlotte, and then the other side, Raleigh, uh, Durham, Wilmington, Greenville, um, and then from there, you can kind of branch out to Virginia, West Virginia, go to the Mid-Atlantic, like D.C., or go to the Midwest, like Ohio. And, Did you um, play Wilmington a lot? That's blown up since I lived I lived in North Carolina for a while. We uh, started out playing Wilmington quite a bit, and now we're doing maybe one or two shows there a year. But, yeah, Wilmington is a really fun place for us to play. We, we actually have a show Wilmington. two weeks from now, May yeah, Cin- 5th, at the Greenfield Cinco Lake de Mayo Amphitheater. at Greenfield Lake Amphitheater in Wilmington. Great, so. great. And, yeah, like you said, on a national scale, I mean, you can go to Boston in a day or Miami in a day because you're just kind of in the central part of the East Coast. So it's really nice for us touring-wise because, we, you know, we don't have to – plot out two or three weeks to get to Maine and Vermont and Boston or Miami. There's also so many great music fans and people in North Carolina that we've kind of we ha- it feels like we have kind of like a community around us there now and, and that's really been awesome to to witness and just become a part of because it, it feels like something that's bigger than all of us as a band. You know, it's there's a lot of really cool music lovers and, and just good natured people there in North Carolina, so that's been really cool to see as well. Of oh, the likes of Lee, uh, Homegrown Music Network, right? Lee Crumpton, that's our dog right there. Yeah. At what point did he find, uh, connect with you guys? Um, we've known Lee for a long time. I mean, he's been um, he won a Jammy, one of the very first like Grammy meets Jam Band awards, um, as like an independent music promoter and. Um, He's very well regarded in the industry. I've never heard a bad word about him. He is a super nice guy. And, really goes to bat for the bands. Really cares. He cares very much. You know, he's got his heart and soul into into what he's doing. But uh, Lee, though, so for, for folks that don't know, Lee... Um, That's fake news. ...owns the uh, Homegrown Music Network, which uh, in the beginning was a publication that turned into a network, literally a network, that uh, connected promoters and venue owners and artists and really helped, really helped drive the jam band scene when like the wetlands was at its prime uh and now you know lee's been able to work with you guys and and really got you guys got you guys going got you a lot apparently he's flatulent as well (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about um yeah lee was great lee when i first joined the band lee had he was already signed on as our manager correct when i had joined the band and he's we've you know kind of moved forward not forward, just moved in a different direction from a business perspective. He, we, we still keep in touch with him, and he, he still, you know, offers advice and all that stuff. But we're we're working now with with Buck Williams from uh, is it PGA? Yes. Yeah, well, PGA. He, he manages. Well, wise speaking of Wilmington, mm-hmm. did he not attend one of your shows with Mike Mills he of did. REM? Yeah. Can yes. you tell us about that night? Yes, he did. Yeah. The uh, the the show I was just pitching at, at Greenfield Lake Amphitheater on Cinco de Mayo. Yes. He was there. It was last year, I guess. Two years ago. Two years ago, he mm-hmm. he was playing in a golf tournament with Mike Mills, the bass player from uh, REM, and they the promoter for the show invited him out, and he came and saw us, and and really dug what he saw. Mike was actually the kind of the catalyst behind it. He got up the next morning, was like, oh, "Man, those guys were great," and apparently was googling us and and trying to research what he had seen, and so Buck, I, I guess, got the the bug in his ear from that, and and reached out to Nick and sat down and had a lunch with him, and then from there he kind of. 
took us on as, as like a pet project before he was kind of you know winding down the the business side of what what he wanted to do but he, he's been a, a godsend for us he's just has he been helping you guys uh kind of piggybacking on widespread panic and getting you guys into a lot more festivals and gigs uh yeah i, w- I wouldn't say piggybacking on the band in particular um the the our, our kind of our crowds intersect a lot um, even even prior to meeting him, that, like the message boards on on Panic and stuff, we have a lot of crossover fans in that regard. But he um, he's definitely been super helpful getting us on things like Jam Cruise and you know big higher profile festivals that he can pick up the phone and and, and make a call and, and people will listen. And he he vouches for us a hundred percent, so it's mm-hmm. been really cool. He sure does. He definitely does. Jesse, could you could you get a mic? Sure, oh, you are on mic. Excellent. Hello, Jesse, the lead guitarist. Of big something, son of bluegrass musicians. Did you grow up? Was there bluegrass in the house all the time? Every Sunday morning. I mean, that's a healthy thing in my estimation because it's really country and jazz. <laughs> yeah, right? it's really cool. Even metal. Like now that I've gone back and listened to like Iron Maiden and like some heavier stuff, it's like it's the same stuff. You know, same kind of music. Hey, when you meet Allison Krauss, which you will eventually, I have. Okay, when she's was, a metalhead too. Yeah, she remind is. her that she needs to make a metal album. Is she cool. really? She, yes. Yeah. She wants to do bluegrass versions of metal tunes. Wow. Of course, then again, Rodrigo and Gabriella just did, the, uh, did something very similar where they do metal songs. Yeah. Tell us more. I mean, why don't you just pick up uh, your Spotify and check it out today? <laughs> <laughs> but really we're not good. here to talk it's about really Rodrigo good. and Gabriella. We're here to talk about... Yeah, more about Jesse. Sure. Ask away. Can you talk about... You listen to a lot of Steve Ray Vaughan, listen to a lot of Jeff Beck, yeah, a lot of I the was, classic guitars. When I was younger, yeah. Yeah, at some point you have to stop listening to your biggest influences, right? Yeah, it's weird. I kind of don't really listen to a lot of anything anymore other than what I'm influenced from the band and, and other people, you know. It's, it's constantly taking in new material. So, like, kind of letting that stuff go, you know. It's there. It's ingrained in you, I guess. So you get out of it what you get out of it, but you're still learning new stuff and and growing musically with new genres and things like that, you know. And there's definitely elements of improvisation in your set. Always. Yeah, I mean, I was noticing tonight, as I, uh, uh, or today, earlier today, I only got to see a little bit of your show, but there was a point at which you finished up the lyric and um, the clarinet thing, he, he seemed like he was going to step up, but you he didn't, mean, and then you guys got into it. Yeah. And then when you when you wrapped up the song, immediately the drummer was like pointing at his watch, like, remember. So you're definitely, you're not even, it's not a set thing. Any given song can no, open yeah. up, clearly. That's the fun part about it, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. It's like Frank Zappa, he was like, if you had to play the same solo every night, he's like, how boring would that be? True, you know? but with Zappa, you would at least know where in the song it's going to open it, up. Exactly, and we kind of do. Everything is, okay. is, is structured pretty well. Uh, there's spots that open up in the songs you know that we can all kind of expound and mm-hmm. just get weird if we want to get weird and, and you can plan the tension on the time you you know you, right. you have a minute left it's like okay well then cut eight bars off of it you know end it at the same time but just peak it earlier and, and kind of make it work for the situation we're given like we're on tour with Umphreys McGee right now we have 45 minutes a night so it's like we have to kind of pick our songs really wisely and, and condense them to a certain extent so they're still peaking and everyone's getting that effect but we don't sell ourselves short musically, and we don't feel like we can't stretch out. On the flip side, like on a set list, there could be like two songs left, but we only have enough time for one. 
and then we can just say, let's out. stretch yeah. that one out and right. we can we can kind of let did. it go for a ride you know take it out for a drive so sometimes it is planned and we'll say okay you know this is going to open up right here and then sometimes it just happens organically on stage and i i love when that happens i think yeah. that's always really cool generally when the sound is really good and you can hear everyone things get way more expansive like if i can hear jesse going and hear the subtleties of what he's doing i'm just like let that motherfucker go like, what about the level of attentiveness of the audience does that affect it, you guys it, as well it's true totally, yeah, yeah absolutely. it's all reciprocal yeah it's you reciprocal you energy you know if if the audience is really into it and you can see them bouncing and like going off, then it helps us get more into yeah. it and we kind of feed off of that energy and, and then it, it kind of builds up back and forth, you know, band audience kind of that circular energy. And then sometimes, you know, if the audience is kind of like not as into it, it's harder to play, you know, it, it goes both ways. But yeah, it. it Audience energy is super important. Yeah, like if Nick looks out and the crowd is still, he'll turn back to me and be like, "Bump up the tempo a little bit. Like just drive it." So like, kind of force him into that spot where it's it's unavoidable where they're going to be bouncing around and going kind of crazy. And then I, apparently, when you look at the crowd and people aren't moving, you're like, "All right, we need to cover." All right, guys, Billy Joel, let's go. <laughs> Allentown. Allentown. Yeah, Allentown is Allentown. our go-to <laughs> Billy Joel cover. Something, something, Allentown. Um, so you guys have been on the road with Mushrooms in my socks. And, uh... <laughs> Oops, I yeah, stepped on that. I'm sorry. Original song. That was my bad. Shoes and socks. Didn't Shoot. rip it off from Allentown yeah, at all. Not at all. <laughs> Same melody, different idea. Different basis. And I wrote it before Billy Joel. We wrote it at Rooster Walk. Yeah. Way before. <laughs> it's kind of like Blurred Lines. <laughs> Sorry. Right, yeah. Uh, back to your original question. Shoot away. We're idiots. Not at all. I'm loving this. We're really getting a feel of who big something are. This is great. But you guys are digging. Could you hand the mic to him? You were telling me about uh, playing with Humphreys earlier, about Chris Myers. Real quick. All right. Our, our tour manager is yes. going to talk now. Real How's it going, guys? Drop an octave. And we've had we've had tour, hey tour managers on before. Hey guys. Hey guys. Brian, speak. Talk about the, the Chris Myers sitting in with. Uh, Oh, it was Drunk. surreal. He uh, he hit us up earlier in that day and uh, was super excited about coming out to our show and was very kind of hesitant almost about asking. He was like, can can I sit in with you guys? We're like, dude, we would love to have you. And it ended up working out like a, like a dream and super nice guy. It kind of definitely helped, I think, break the ice going into the first actual show with them. Yeah. You know, kind of felt like we already had a little bit of a friend so, how are these guys to work with? They're amazing. They're amazing. They're, in the last, sorry, I'm going to interrupt one second because the last, I would, me personally, the last six years we've been touring with bands. They're easily the nicest people we've ever worked with. In they're our probably the nicest band we've and, ever gotten and, to play and with, and on the biggest level, probably of any band that we've ever done the tour with. They're just fantastic people. And we like before Chris. So Chris was visiting his girlfriend in Morgantown, and he drove to Pittsburgh. Asked if he could play one of our original songs, learned the entire song on the drive, and then played it with us that night. And before that, we we were on a tour in Telluride, and Joel, the keyboard player, just came out to the show, watched the whole thing. And Joel's like an ambassador for that band. Yeah, he's he's out there. Yeah, you can tell they like really care about their community and like you know making sure people are happy and well taken care of. I mean, they they totally embrace their opening bands and and make sure that they're. One more for you. Uh, 
you know, just they feel very welcome on, on the tour. Yeah. And and we have. We, it's it's probably been the nicest band we've ever worked with. And all six of them. I mean, it's like, it's as if we're like leafing through a Teen Bot magazine and it's like, well, which one's your favorite? Like, I like Joel. I like Ryan. I like, like, you on a, any given okay. night or second, they're okay. just, the, all of them are the nicest people on earth. Like, w- w- there's not one of them that isn't just a fantastic human being so but i got one more pleasure. question for your tour manager you're, you're managing a band that is in the midst of blowing up oh yeah from oh, your yeah. perspective what do you think about all this i'm digging it i mean i i wouldn't be here if i wasn't i've been doing this for what about two years now i think does it get more challenging though as things are getting bigger does your job get more different aspects do you know when you start dealing with bigger venues nicer venues um the people who work at those venues are just so professional that it almost in ways makes my job easier there may be more aspects of production or something like that that we have to deal with but uh the growing is good it's and and i wouldn't be able to do it if these guys weren't super awesome they're you know they're my best friends so and they are on their way and they're on their way it's so. exciting times embrace this no i want to take notes and write a book someday too <laughs> now you were telling me before about the clarinet that i brought up can you, you can, when you say you the clarinet who are you referring to, Rob? Josh. Tell us your name. Josh. My name's Josh. Joshua. Tell us about the clarinet that, that was being played. It First of all, it was not a clarinet at all. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Tell us. Yep. Um, it so looks like it. Yeah, it has like a feel to it. It's called the Iwi. Uh, electric. Electro- I'm not sure if it's electric or electronic. One of those words. Wind instrument. Um, and it's basically a, it's a synthesizer. E-W-I. E-W-I. Yeah. Iwi. I hear the smaller version is the peewee. <laughs> ben? <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to take a picture of this podcast while you're answering this question somehow. Um, so it's, it's, just a, it. it's a synthesizer, like a, a keyboard synthesizer, um, but the, it, the way to control it is pretty unique because um, it, it's breath controlled. You can blow into it, and it responds to breath how to the, the pressure, like the breath <laughs> can, can control different parameters on it. Um, and so there's plays like a sax but it sounds like a synthesizer yeah the, the fingering on it you can play like it was a saxophone. you can adjust it too right you, like so, it was yeah. a flute mm-hmm. like you could set it like it was a valve instrument and there's even a specific ewe fingering that they made for the device that what you is, can use that what are some of the other choices you grow as a band and have more you know means we're just kind of reaching the point where we feel comfortable like hey can we get a sponsorship or an endorsement or like what kind of cool thing can we add to the Oh, yeah. Everyone kind of individually will always kind of bring something new to the table month by month, you know. Like Casey just he got like a student refund I think from school, like on his whatever grant he got to to go to college, and he just bought an iwi and learned how to play it in like a month. And after that, it was just a staple of our set. And like Jesse builds guitars and and pedals and stuff, and he's like he's now really we got the Q chord coming yeah. next. Q-cord. Yeah, Q-cord we've, we've been writing next. material for their new. Album with uh, what is a Q chord or chord? Q chord. Q chord. Q chord. Now yeah. you guys generally let the songs marinate live and then do them correct in the yeah. studio. Yeah. Is the new yeah. album going to be the same way? Are you ever tempted to just hit your fans with the, an album of unperformed material? Yes and no. Um, we definitely could head that direction soon. I, we're kind of playing around with a bunch of new material, but I I also think that it's good to to play it live and. It helps us make sure that it's as good as it can be. 
And when you guys are on the road, uh, uh, do you guys practice uh, rehearse before your gigs? We, we've rehearsed in the van before yeah. or, uh, for a, a considerable yeah. amount of time. We did a Colorado tour that was like you know four or five however many weeks it was. Driving through Kansas. How do, you pra- how do you practice? Do you guys like, in right, the van while driving through Kansas? It's time yeah. to practice the improvs uh, set. <laughs> I think we're just going to let Matt videos of Matt I mean, to take it. Yeah, I think yes, yes. I, I yes. think we're honestly really good at improvisation, but it, it tends to happen more behind closed doors, like in the practice room or or when nobody's looking. So I, I think it's honestly going to be really cool to open that up to you know a a festival setting with with an audience and, and a bunch of people in front of us. But I honestly think we can improvise with the best of them when we're really locked in and listening to each other. Um, it's just we usually tend to. Um, rely on our songs and our catalog of set structured things but I, we're really excited about this improv set I think it's going to be one of the cooler parts of the festival yeah. I would not be surprised if there's something on the new album that comes out of that improv set at the Big Wet I'm, I'm sh- almost positive something we do and listen back to will, will end up being on the new record based on what I've read it seems like you almost bring the improvisational spirit into composing where yes. songs come together completely radically different each time, and and the kernel that's brought to the band is not there, that you, the initial songwriter doesn't even have a, a vision of where it would go. That you're just ready to let it go where it's going to go. It happens over a long span of time. Do you write too. all of them? Or, or, or do I mean, no. I would say that it's very collaborative as far as the music goes. You know I'm I mean? saying the initial kernels. Where, where are they usually coming from? It, it, anyone. It, really? Josh, yeah, Josh anyone, has really. composed entire songs just on his keyboard. We're like, okay, I'll play that drum part. Sounds good. And their bass line's already there. Or Nick will go up to DC and, and write with Paul, uh, like our, our lyric writer, and kind of. Like, you could probably break it down song by song. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of songs that, that Josh came up with the. the initial part like illuminated the glow waves pinky's gray woman. matter pinky's woman yeah i mean and waves then, is awesome then there's songs like megalodon or love generator or a mandolin where paul and i have really kind of come up with the, the foundation or for like it. ufos but where me and doug song, were fucking around on the baseline within each song there was also melodies that have been composed like casey is a really great melodic composer he, like he composes parts really well jesse also has a lot of awesome licks that he'll throw in and write for songs too so it, it's kind of all very collaborative ben and doug will tend to work out their own grooves and way of locking in the bass and the drums that ends up kind of dr- yeah. you know taking the song in a new direction so it's really all just collaborative musically and then the lyrics are predominantly paul and myself so and jesse actually has his own I would say studio. I mean, it's it's a, a way to record and, and put stuff down. But uh, he lives out in the country in Ozapi, and he has this this space in kind of a loft above a garage. And me and I mean, more frequently in the past, I would say than as of late. Not yeah, we don't have, yeah, we don't have as much time. It, we, ha- we don't have as much time to do it anymore. But like me and Josh would, would just go and you know drink beers and Nyquil and and work stuff out. And like waves came from Josh I didn't had drink this the Nyquil. whole thing. Yeah, that's just me. He Josh had had waves kind of plotted out and we just kind of messed around with it like us three added certain sections yeah. and added then brought it into the practice space yeah. the next time we rehearsed and it, it we fleshed it out that day and it, it became like a complete song probably within that practice and session. when we record the songs too, our producer john custer usually yes. helps add some identity to the sounds as well you know he'll he'll have lots of suggestions on harmonies and little parts and glue and bells and whistles and atmospheric sounds that kind of help tie it all together i think this was jesse's quote about custer uh he's a brilliant dude as far as sonic engineering and knowing which sounds go where he knows how to tickle your ear the right way and i, I i've seen it in a bunch of things written about you that that he he's constantly bringing new drum arrangements and new little adornments i yeah, mean and, i mean at any 
He's a very hands-on producer. And it's, uh, I mean, aside from drums, he's just... That's what they say about Steve Berlin when we were talking about Steve Berlin, the same thing. Yeah. it's, it's, It's just, and it's very casual, too. Like, he's such a, you know, kind of a tall, calm, looming figure. It, like it never feels like it's forced upon you. He's like he like we 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 tracked tumbleweed, and he was in the control room, and we were like, cool, that's a good take, whatever. Finished it up, and he was listening to Bittersweet Symphony just because he wanted to. He just always has his headphones on. He's just kind of like doing his own thing, and he came back into the tracking room and was like, can you play the beat on that in this section of the song, like the with the double time, the little the two. Because he just, he was like, I dig that. Like, that's a, a, a great beat. And we are like, okay. So we just restructured it on the spot, and then that is what ended up on the record. So he, and, and he'll, he'll come in, he's a great guitarist, too. Like, a really, really phenomenal guitarist. So he, uh, he's super good with guitar melodies and, and vocal harmonies. He's like a master of. Like, he'll have Nick Lair 30 I would say different frequency in general, too. Because yeah. I get to, a lot of times the band doesn't get to see him mix, but I get to watch him mix the albums, too. And it's just like, how are you? He'll be like, okay, pull up that one frequency right there. And he'll pull something up that he doesn't like. And it's like all kind of like distorted. And it's like, how are you hearing that yeah. right now? Like, I, that's like the, the hearing of a dog. Like, it's <laughs> so like. On his like skull candy like target headphones too. Like, yeah. He just he always has them on and he can just hear everything. He's really thing. good at getting what he wants out of someone yeah. like without telling without them without fucking with them. W- like, without, without telling them what to do. Yeah. He just like cuz eggs go good with bacon or something like that yeah. and then like he gets like what Michael Jackson awesome. and that, have you seen that movie where he's doing the, the, the rehearsal for the tour just before and I it it, it crushes me cuz I wish he hadn't hidden the side of him. He's he's very exacting. But the yeah. way he conveys it is so loving that it mm-hmm. makes it, you know, not, uh, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. It's more yeah. about, let's make this thing better. Kind let's of. try this. He, he has a really delicate approach in that way. You never feel like you're being imposed upon or he's telling you what to do or I know better than you because I've been in the bit. He's just, I mean, he's he's another member of the band. I think he just tries to get the most badass take out of everybody. Like, do you have an like, example like maybe? that badass perhaps? Jedi mentality to it. He's kind of like a rock star in that in that way. So, And we're all kind of like shy, laid back people and, and he comes into the mix and it's just like, whoa, this yeah. is like on another level. Like, wait, like he can't, we, we were tracking the second day and we went through a couple takes of the songs and he was like, did you guys not get enough sleep last night? Like, play the fucking song. Like, beef it out. Like, you're, everything is just like, you know, like, it's got an edge. Back burner, head yeah. bobbing thing. He's like, play the fucking song. Like, lay into it. And, yeah, he's, he just, he brings out a lot of courage in us musically, I would say. There's one way I'm actually in awe of young songwriters. Because as each year goes, each successive year goes by, that's another year of music that's preceded you, you know, in this genre, you know, when the rock, you know, I love the old rock stuff, but when they were doing it, they didn't really have this, you know, you have a lot that precedes you. Sure. So how do you negotiate uh, when you, when you come through, you you come up with something, how much you're concerned about how it's like what's happened before and then ripping people off. Yeah. And then, yeah, you can even get sued in some cases. Right. Uh, It's a good question. I mean, I, one thing we always like to say is we're not really trying to sound like anybody. We, we don't have like a band like, oh, we want to sound like that band. True, but you don't have to try to, to have it happen, right? Right. I mean, we, we tend to just come up with an idea for a song, and then we try to make the music fit that idea. So it could be like our song Passenger, which is kind of like about riding on a train, but it's kind of a metaphor for like 
going through life. Um, and then we, we were like, well, that would sound really good with a bluegrass shuffle. So let's add kind of like that train, like chug along kind of sound to it. So, I mean, each song kind of takes on its own identity. I would say, you know, we're just into writing good songs and and playing together as a unit and whatever comes out comes out we're not really like trying to have this sound or that sound you know we're not trying to emulate fish or widespread panic or the grateful dead we're trying to sound like big something and i think at the end of the day it comes out kind of sounding like its own unique thing which i love that about our band do you ever go back to your recordings of stuff you've done live improvisationally and then try to lift kernels of that and then frame songs around that sure oh that happens a lot with songs is there can you give me an example of one or two uh, say like uh, one was it at um in Denver with Megalodon we like made a mistake in soundcheck yeah we cut by accident cut by accident yeah, yeah. and then like that turned into like a whole jam that's like yeah, yeah. It turned into just a completely new part of the song um, like, oh that was cool let's do it again Tumbleweed then, the, the, that song came from a jam that we had been playing on for years and it was just like always just this little like b minor funk jam like ding 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 and after two years of kind of jamming on it in certain situations it finally became a song with lyrics and kind of flushed out into like its own identity but there's always stuff like that where we'll go back and listen to recording and be like oh that was really cool let's see if we can do something with that and we have so many i mean there's like taperous galore out there like we have a friend marty who's been he's done shout out to marty he's done over a hundred shows and taped all of them i'm pretty sure from the beginning and rusty and brian Sosinski, like all these guys so even if like before we had cam as our sound guy because now we can multi-track off the board and we can listen to those but before that all we had was the the tapers and so we would go back and they would put them on archive.org and we could listen back to them. And it's like watching you know, they're, tape. They're, they're tinny and they're not full sometimes because like, you know, every room sounds different. So like it's, it's, it's not like as round as you would like it, but the ideas are all there. You know, you can hear everything back. You and, can go and, back and evaluate yourself yeah. and figure out what to Was I pushing the tempo too much? Is the yeah. groove good? You know, that was a really cool melody. Let's follow along with that. It's like time. watching tape. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, watching film and sports. E- even the ex- existence of tapers alone must motivate you to keep things fresh, keep things changing, keep things yeah. moving along. Especially in our scene, I mean, it's it's a big thing to keep things fresh, and it, it's cool. The, the jam scene, which is, you know, we don't necessarily consider ourselves a jam band, but the jam scene is incredible. They, they foster all different kinds of talent, and they want to see you push yourselves. They don't care if you mess up. They just want to see you taking chances and interacting on stage and, you know, looking each other off on a section or being like, you know, milk that one. Just that, creating in the moment. Yeah. Not going through the motions. Yeah, right. exactly. They don't want to see a, a pre-programmed thing. It's kind of like the Tom, why Tom Petty flopped at Lockin, and I love and respect madly Tom Petty, and, and he's a great player, but when he headlined at Lockin, it was, it was a little weird. We'd seen all these bands that were very much in the moment, and then he came out and did his show that he's doing on the tour, right. and it fell flat. We don't want to really become like a jukebox of ourselves, you know. We we want to always push ourselves, and I think that's gonna at us as individuals, you know, we'll we'll be motivated by that alone to just keep ourselves into into the moment that way too, you know. And and then there's also 
when we're playing in North Carolina, we always want to push ourselves to keep pushing the envelope and keep trying out new stuff and keep bringing new material to the forefront. But then when we go into new markets and places where we haven't played before, we'll go back to the old stuff and be like, all right, let's rock all this stuff through these people that haven't heard us before. So um, it, it kind of ebbs and flows like that. What about here in Atlanta? What was your thought process behind the set list? Well, you did a one-hour set here at the Sweetwater Festival, right? Um, we did hour, hour 15, 15 today, 15. and it, today was awesome. I loved the set today. I thought it, it couldn't have gone better. I'll I bet mean, a, couple, a song or two got crossed off, right? A few songs got yeah. crossed off. and that always, You were stretching. That, that usually happens. You know, We'll call audibles here and there, and, and um, I have a way to, to talk to the band. I didn't have it today, but I can talk into a microphone so that everybody hears it in their ears, but the audience doesn't hear it, and we'll like kind of like talk back. Exactly, yeah, talk, talk back, Mike, and and we'll kind of like change the set list as it as it feels right going through the energy. Of but the, you mo- of use the that show. moving through improv too, right? Sure. Do you, yeah. you, you, do you have any hand signals I, yet? Like Humphrey, if you're out on with Humphrey, you must be seeing the hand signals. Yeah, yeah they, they do a bunch of crazy signals. shit. Yeah. yeah, we need to work some. We of that don't stuff have out. anything like. Usually, that. I just scream at whoever and. Nothing gets across. We don't this have means D. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, we do have... We ch- I try not to talk in the microphone, the talkback mic, as, as little as possible. Um, but I, I try not to talk as, as much as possible into the talkback mic because I want everybody to, you know, be comfortable in the moment. But uh, there will be certain times where you'll be like, okay, let's bring it down and extend this section a little bit or let's break it down. But... You know, it just depends on the moment. Or like the you situation. said with the watch pointing thing, it's like a lot of the times he's like, time, time, we have two minutes, you right. know, like condense it, condense it. And we have songs that, you know, the the structure is all there. And then we have, you know, four or five sections within that song we where also, it could either be eight minutes long or right. 30 seconds long. Like Hot Tuna has a song, Baby, What Do You Want Me To Do? And they tend to close festivals with it because they could do it for 10 minutes. They could do it for three. Yeah. We had heard all these stories about bands that had opened for Umphreys that had gone over their time and then gotten yelled at. And yeah, stuff, well, that's and not, you don't like, do that. That's right. It's, we it's, end two minutes early. It's disrespectful, like, too. Yeah, it's you know, like, we we want to end at least a minute before you know the end of our set. And it was like... Uh, I think the works were telling us one time they opened for Humphreys and they went like three minutes over their time and the, the dudes from Humphreys came up to them and were like, hey guys, great set, except for that last three minutes. There. <laughs> <laughs> like, All right, that's not going to happen with us. Yeah. We're gonna and especially knowing them now personally, it's like you got to show them all the respect in the world because they're, I mean, their crew is amazing, they're amazing, and they just run such a tight ship. It's they like, showed it to us. Yeah, well. it's, they, yeah. like, there's no reason to try to get your rocks off a little more it's like oh yeah let's extend the solo fuck that no like they're just the best people treat them the right way and, and get off and for strip sure set. so can you tell us a little more you said you're working on the, on the next album can we get a little more yeah it's sparse right now it, generally the big what is kind of a, a linchpin of like our our year where we try to at least take it's harder now because we're touring so much, but we used to take you know two weeks off before the big one, and we would just practice two or three times a week and and flesh everything out that we wanted to debut. Now we you know we have to practice in the band and, and do stuff like that. But the big one is kind of it's like the the tastemaker for our year in music. Whoever we toured with that we really liked, like Turquoise and Sun Squabby, and like these people that like we've seen on the road and that are out there and that like we're interacting with on a daily basis. We just kind of bring. It's like a best of, like a now three album of what we like on the road. So we just bring in all the bands that we love that we've seen. But also, it's whatever we've learned on the road and we're coming up with. We try to really buckle down the last two weeks before the Big What and give fans, like, new shit to listen to. Like, let's put three songs on the set list that 
might not even be done, but we know they're going to be songs on the new album and we want to get them out there to people because it's a it's a lot of people that have been following us before i was even in the band you know seven eight nine years ago when they were the anonymous band a totally different project and these people are still following them and seeing the progression of everything so it's like well why not give them kind of an insider's look of of what might be coming up speaking of coming up any ideas for new year's eve where you might be we uh have been doing New Year's Eve in Raleigh at the Lincoln Theater for the past few years. Oh, I love that room. They and that up. I, I just interviewed David Bromberg in that room. Great room. It's an awesome room. We, we love it. It's probably one of our favorite hometown venues. Yeah, Chris so. Malarkey, the owner, is here at, at Sweetwater. Right really? Now. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see him. His people were <coughs> incredibly welcoming to me. Is he the owner? Sorry. No, but uh, talent buyer. Buyer, talent yeah. buyer, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we... I think this year we're actually going to do three, like, two or three nights at the Lincoln Theater in Raleigh for New Year's because New Year's is on a Sunday, so I think we're going to do the Friday, Saturday, Sunday at that venue. And then we've also traditionally done a costume ball um, for Halloween in Raleigh, but I think we're going to be not doing that this year and focusing more on New Year's Eve as our as our Raleigh big hometown Homestand. throwdown. So. Well, I, for one, am so much lovely music that i got to thank people like Marty Sen and Jordan Zucker for bringing you to my attention initially. Of course. Uh, I'm going to hang this over to you, man. It's Mr. Seth. Take us home. Well, I want to thank you guys for your time. Yes, thank Wait, you. Why am I the guy that always... You make, I'm the asshole. Like, sorry, guys, right? <laughs> Time's he's up, He's Captain sucker. MC, though. He's always yeah. telling our audience what a great MC is, and then you hand him a mic, and he's like, what, do, what do I do? Joey Fatone with Family Feud. Well, <laughs> they actually... Joey Fatone... <laughs> Big something. They, they were a big surprise on a Jam Cruise this year. Maybe next time we'll get them to do an activity, Rob. Jam Cruise was life-changing. I think that was one of the highlights yeah, of our year for sure. That was unbelievable. A big something activity where people come and they don't even know what it is till they get there. Yeah. Exactly. Rob? Shuffleboard. You're getting your... You're, <coughs> you're making your way. You're making your way into, into something, Rob. The world today <laughs> takes everything you got. Well, you guys are on to something. No pun intended. <laughs> no, uh, it was intended. <laughs> we wish you guys all the best. Keep in touch. And when you're ready to debut that new song before it goes anywhere, you know Inside Out is there for you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you we'll so need much. music for this. And this will probably come out in, what, about six to eight weeks. So, you know, if you want to use us. Use us if you want to debut anything. A little send out little teases. Uh-oh. All right. And then, uh, we'll see you guys at the big what? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No. What? 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 No, the big what? Huh? What? Pardon? I told my mom I was going to that. Wait, are you guys like big gigantic? <laughs> Why don't you do a big festival? We big gigantic. Something big and gigantic. Big up. Do it in. I don't even know. Where's another that's big a, place? A, last little tidbit. That's actually how the festival started. Is because uh-huh. there was a the two friends of ours that are bands in North Carolina. Your mama's big fat booty band. Oh, there's and, another big one. And yeah. big daddy love. And it was oh, yeah. the billing was big big big. And so the big was centered, and then our names were kind of like that, on I the sides it. of it. That's that's yeah. great. That's great. We've had some great bands at the Big What over the years. I mean, we had Wolfpack right before they blew up. We've yeah. had Dopapod our first year. Um, some, we're really excited to have Sun Squabby out this year. And, and, you know, it's it's always something where we try to bring bands that are right on the cusp of, like, taking that next big step. Um, Voodoo Visionary. I will check them out. They are an Atlanta band. We're actually interviewing them this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta band that's well, they're na- they're on the forefront of getting into that national level. Um, but uh, definitely, our friend uh, Blues Bill yeah. has been Blues uh, Bill. Oh, wait a second, he's been blowing me up about Voodoo Missionary. So, 
Ah, yes, yes. Excellent instrumentation. They got a fantastic singer. They know how to pace the energy over the course of a show. The guitars can knock you on your ass. Yes, they're a great fucking band. Do you manage them? something it was a bit of a party really right seth well that's because you kept feeding them terrapin beers and they didn't i don't know how much they took at sweetwater 420 fest they didn't yes that was funny (laughs) they didn't seem to be taking it too seriously but we got some good stuff out of it well i wouldn't say they weren't taking it too seriously they were but uh, overall, it was it was one of the lighter interviews I think we've ever done. But it was a very significant year for Big Something because they moved to Chicory Hills uh, for the first time for their Big Wah Festival. And um, a gentleman who was in attendance is also the guy who I first heard about this band from. He's the founder of the Homegrown Music Network, and he's on the phone with us right now, Lee Crumpton. Hello. Hello, hello, sir. Good to reconnect with you here after all these years. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I ran into, ran into Robin Humphrey's show the other night. And I'm not surprised. <laughs> and we had hugs and conversations, and uh, here I am. And we both raved over Aqueous, who opened. I'd like to give a shout-out. That was my first time seeing Aqueous, and I was I was mighty impressed. Oh, Seth's getting another call. Yeah. Seth, who always makes fun of my I unprofessionalism. Know. You know, how, how can I do that? Who is Is it Amy? Yeah, it it's is. It's probably Amy. It is. You yes, should be right. home now. You should not be cutting segments. <laughs> Stop. All right, so anyways, go. Lee. <laughs> I yeah, work- Aqueous uh, was also at the Big What, and uh, that was an incredible show. Yeah, and they know how to market themselves to Humphreys McGee fans. They had a 45-minute set, and I think they played three songs. Yeah, yeah. They stretch. Ple- pleasant surprise. Now, first, I first met you way back when you were starting the Homegrown Music Network. I worked for a band called Flying Mice, and you were always very, very kind to them. Flying yeah, Nice. Love- flying Mice. No, Nice. Love- flying Nice. He love- was Flying Nice. You were Flying Mice. Love those guys. I still cross paths with a couple of them here and there since they live uh, local to where I'm at these days. Yeah. John Shane is one of my closest friends to this day, and he actually is going to be doing some work with me on the Timeless Music Podcast, which is uh, produced right near you, Lee. 
But I, we have you on to talk about the big something. Could you tell us when you first became aware of them and uh, what it was that struck you initially about them, that they were a special band and different? Well, first met those guys uh, pre-Big Something at the time. They were called the Anonymous Band, and uh, and they were you know uh, getting started here in Burlington, North Carolina, just a few miles from uh, Homegrown Headquarters in Mebane. Literally, I think we're 12, 15 miles apart. So um, they played play local a lot, and uh, was able to uh, get to know the guys. They uh, as they were the Anonymous Band, they had a, a lineup change. They brought in some of the new members that you're familiar with now, and they. Went in the studio, record with uh, uh, John Custer, who's a well-known and talented producer from these parts, and uh, something new kind of was created there. And uh, they decided that uh, it was time to have a new moniker too. So that's when when Big Something was born. And I, I think they told me it was actually uh, John Custer who who came up with that name. And th- they were pretty quick to get bold enough, kind of like uh, the Black Angels that we interviewed uh, early, early on in our little podcasting career. Um, they were bold enough to start their own festival early on when they'd only been a band or, or they'd only been big something for a short time. Yeah, yeah. They had, had been doing something uh, prior to that called the Farm Party. Um, and that went on for a few years. And uh, and then they, they started the Big What. So they already had a little bit of experience at throwing, you know, a small festival, large party, however you want to want to categorize it um and yeah big uh, the big what started off at a great little venue called possum holler and we uh, enjoyed that spot for a couple years and then moved up to something bigger and and now they're at something even bigger than that uh, so they're, they're living up to their name Chicago, now you were chicory hills is where it was this year you uh yeah, lee the, were um managing them for some period of time yeah is that correct yeah for three and a half years through you know 2011 to uh, 2014 and um, as a rule, I mean, you've you've been involved with several different bands throughout the years, but this this was a you haven't really taken on a management role like this in a while. What was it that really got you with these guys? Um, they were just one of the one of the best bands uh, that I, I'd heard. I really liked it. I you know I technically was the manager, but I called myself a fanager. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can relate I to that. Yeah, I was a fan first and foremost, and uh, and uh, managers what I did during the day, and then I would you know go see them whenever I had the chance, and uh, had no problem turning people onto them because I love to talk about that band. And so, when did you first go to a Big Wild Festival? I've been at all of them. Wow, you are a loyal fan. Let's talk about this year. He's a big fan. He's a big fan of the big something. <laughs> Yeah. This year they had Turquoise, Zach Deputy, Sun Squabby, Consider the Source, and of course Big Something. Right? Were there other bands? Yeah, uh, you know one one of the highlights I heard a lot of people say was uh, Everyone Orchestra, and uh, and and a lot of people, including myself, also included. I'm, I'm calling it Everyone Something when uh, Matt Butler from Everyone Orchestra conducted Big Something in a totally improv set. So that that was something you know even I who's seen Big Something multitude of times you know had no idea what was going to come of that even the guys playing it and uh, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, let's not let's not gloss over that because I do believe that this is the first time Butler has conducted a full existing band, right? As far as I know, uh, and you know I'm a little more schooled on every orchestra than your average guy since my record label put out their studio album, so I've not heard of that happening before. So uh, yeah, it very well could have been the first time. And how did the improv go? What, what, do, do you have any? I mean, that's very difficult to describe an improvisational set. But were there were there moments that stuck out to you where it particularly it clicked particularly well musically? Well, it all was really good. Um, 
and for the most part, it was all totally fresh stuff. There was a you know a couple moments here and there where you go, okay, I recognize that quote progression from something they've done before. But for the most part, it was just you know totally off the cuff. Uh, it was just uh, totally great. I'm actually you know anxious to hear the recordings again so I can you know go back and hear it again and get familiar with what they were doing. I wonder and, uh, if uh, anything from that um, when they listen to the recording, if they'll pull anything out and make new songs out of that. I surely hope so. It's definitely uh, a good way to come up with something new. Yeah, they alluded to that in the interview, but I think that's during one of the parts we had to pull out. We had to really... Uh, a salon.com, Seth, what did we have to do to this interview? Well, this is where Rob Turner takes the role of producer. I mean, so I, I don't even say we. This is where you came in, and yeah. Rob puts in his hours and hours of time in our undisclosed location to you can, uh, dissect. You can, you can love a band and not enjoy interviewing them, right, Seth? Uh... <laughs> So, uh, what's new? <laughs> but looking forward to getting another crack with them. And um, tell us more. Did any of the Turkaz guys sit in? Did Zach sit in? Zach, I, I love when Zach sits in front of a band and just gets full frontal R&B. Did, he, did mm, we get any yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he did. And, uh, and actually, I think, he, I think he came out during the, uh, the improv set, too, and, uh, and did a few minutes there at the end. Oh, really? Yeah. Fantastic. So was there a lot of, like, the, the Tur- turquoise horns have been sitting in with a lot of folks, I imagine. Yeah, they getting a lot of attention lately. Yes. Yeah, that, that band is on fire right now. Um, that was some funky stuff right there. And then did the, did the horns sit in with Big Something and with the other acts and stuff like that? Like, what, what are some highlight musical highlights that stand out the most to you from the, I, uh, I go ahead. I, I don't remember turquoise horns sitting in with Big Something, but the Empire Strikes Brass did. Empire Strikes Brass. Now, what's the story on them? Um, they're an Asheville-based band, um, and they're really, really good. They they put out a new new album this year that I've heard, and I, and I really love it. It's uh, they really hit on a lot of different genres. Of course, the the New Orleans uh, sound, since they are a brass band, but they also do everything else, uh, you know, funk, rock, and even even a country song. <laughs> so uh, they're all over the map. But uh, but yeah, I think it was uh, uh, either Friday or Saturday night. The big what? Um, they led a parade. Uh, to the mystery set, which ended up being Big Something doing the mystery set. So Empire Strikes Brass leads, leads a parade of people in there. Empire Strikes Brass goes on stage and plays with Big Something for the first several t- songs. It was nice, uh, you know, having a, a full horn section. So what's the, the material in that surprise set? Was that different material? Um, there was quite a bit of new stuff. Um, let's see, let me pull it up here to refresh my memory. But, uh, yeah, so when... Uh, when Empire Strikes Brass took the stage, they played uh, "Salute" by Lettuce. Ah, Lettuce cover. Yeah, they cool. they've, uh, they do another Lettuce cover, but this one was new. Uh, Will it go around in circles about Billy Preston? No, 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 no. Will it go around in? Yeah, yeah. Cool. And the and the horn stuck stuck around for uh, another tune that they did with a rapper named Mister, who uh, Big Something has worked with uh, several times over the years. He's he's a uh, Repeat offender at the Big What. Yo, yo, yo. Uh, Representing. He, uh, he stuck around for uh, a few songs, including a cover of uh, an outcast tune called Miss Jackson. He's really good in the afternoon when it's really hot. Nothing like a mister on stage. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, we love the outcast covers here in Atlanta. I assure you that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, so, this, this brass band, I really like to talk to them. Uh, I want to I get in depth with them and talk about their relationship with their father. 
Okay, go on now, Lee. <laughs> Who's your daddy? <laughs> um, so yeah, so they did that little little uh, few songs from Mister, kind of a hip hop flavor, and then Big Something proceeded to break out four brand new songs that nobody had ever heard before. Uh-huh. Excellent. Yeah. So, so that's uh-huh. always a plus. They always bring some new tunes to Big What, but you never know how many it's going to be. And, and uh, it was quite a few this this round. You could tell they had done lots of rehearsals uh, going into that thing. Now, looking uh, forward with this band. Where do you where do you see them growing in comparison to the bands that you've seen develop like they are? Well, I think the sky's the limit for that band. They're just so good. Uh, you know, they're just going to keep growing. They're going to move from clubs to theaters, and uh, they're going to start playing higher up on the bill on bigger and bigger festivals. And and uh, next thing you know, it'll be everybody's favorite band. And there's a lot of range to what they do. Do you feel like at the festival you really got a full breadth of the Big Something musical lexicon? Oh yeah, if you want if you want the full on Big Something experience, Big What is the place to do it because you get normally at least five sets of, of Big Something music, and uh, and they always have top notch production going on all around them, and and the special guest, and just the whole the whole vibe is the the perfect experience to. Um, increase your love for that band mm-hmm. and and lee you've been you've been around the block and you've seen the evolution of this scene uh go through several different evolutions uh where it's at today with all these young bands and stuff uh, i'm just curious as to your take on that as to you know what's um what's 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 going on well, you know, the scene seems to be trudging along. Um, you know, as far as the younger kids, it seems like they lean a little more towards the EDM side of things. So, um, you know, at least from where I'm, I'm sitting, it seems like the jam band thing maybe is, you know, fading a little bit compared to, you know, the heydays of the 90s when uh, when everything was just growing so fast. But the jam bands uh, that work the EDM in a little bit seem to be doing well. Do you feel as though Big Something's doing that with the little hints of, of EDM into what they do so that they can pull off that crowd a little bit? Yeah, they have a little bit. Um, you know, they definitely aren't trying to uh, emulate that beat too much. Um, they're they're definitely more of a rock and roll and a funk thing. But uh, but there's enough electronics going on there that they could uh, definitely hold interest of those sort of fans too. And begging Seth's indulgence, trying to stay on Big Wah here. Um, I'm I'm on the fan side perspective of the show and one thing i love about dig something you go to their website you know how bands often take pictures where the band's standing at the front of the stage and the crowd's behind them right big something did it but they are in the crowd i yeah, like yeah, that sometimes sometimes they jump out there in there uh, you know sometimes it is uh, from the lip of the stage it just depends on the on the situation so when yeah i mean that's another cool thing about the big wood is uh you know the band are there mingling in the crowd the whole weekend you know taking in shows and hanging out with their fans and, um you know another another plus for uh, that festival and are the fans excitedly discussing what they've performed already and what might come and and sharing notes on new material i mean how rabid is the fan base and how dialed in to the music are they oh yeah there's definitely several hundred of us that are you know into it enough that that we have those sorts of conversations so in other words rob yes there are statisticians there Statisticians. That's great to know. It's great uh, to oh. And and Rob, to uh, for your statistician thing, uh, back when I was uh, the manager, uh, did a pretty good job keeping keeping uh, set list list archive. I love it. And and they still have it going on their website. So mm-hmm. you know somebody can take that one day and put it in database form and have a lot of fun with it. Something base. All right, but there. While we have you on the phone, Lee, there is a little bit of an elephant in the room. 
Hmm. Well, Seth's, Seth's not as into Locken as he used to be for some reason, but you were just at the Locken Festival. I was. And Still uh, recovering. <laughs> yeah, actually, how old are you, Lee? I am currently 36. You're 36? 46. Oh, okay. I was going to call you out. And you're <laughs> so, married, so right? Yeah, so, yeah, my bounce back time is not nearly what it was when I was 26. Married with kids, right? Yes. And two fest- two major festivals in the last two weekends. That's true. What does the wife think of this? Oh, she's cool. She uh, she understands my passions and uh, and uh, facilitates uh, my travels and things like that. Uh, her, her mom actually came to stay with us to help hold down the fort while I was gone. Well, I hope you treasure her. Yeah. But we awesome. have questions about Locken. First of all, did Phil Lesh really play Unbroken Chain twice in the same day? I think so. See, now this is... I went to Locken... I've been to a couple. And one year, Steve Winwood was slated to play with Whites for Panic. And Phil played on, not the same stage, but the neighboring stage, just a few hours before and did Dear Mr. Fantasy and Low Spark. So that, and I'm more of a deadhead than a spreadhead, but then when Winwood came out with Widespread, they did much better versions of both songs. It's just very odd. <clears throat> and, and now Phil does Unbroken Chain twice to the same audience. Uh, am I incorrect to get the opinion that he is completely detached from this scene? I don't know. I mean, it was good to see him up there. Um, of course. I love the guy. The sound of his bass is one of the greatest sounds on, in, on earth. I love it. When he pl- There's a Hershey soundboard famous dead show where you, cl- you can hear him clicking the bass and start doodling around, and it's like the greatest thing. I love Phil Lesh. Don't get me wrong. But there is no reason to do the same song twice when you have a catalog as vast as the Grateful Dead. It almost seems to spit in the face of your own repertoire when you do something like that. What, what were people talking about there at the festival? What, what, or was what? it even noticed? <laughs> Outside of um, some... Era. I'm sure a lot of people did not notice. Uh, you know, I know I know I heard the song, but I can't remember if I heard it more than once and in what configurations. Because uh, you know he he played with Mo on on Saturday or Sunday, and, and I love that he did his, he'd done his own thing uh, a couple nights prior with uh, you know Bob Weir and the Terrapin Family Band. Um, it, you know, there was a lot of Grateful Dead music there in general. Uh, one of the highlights for me was seeing. Uh, Jerusa is almost dead for the first time. Holy cow! First time, really? Yeah, I tell yeah, you, I was at I was at Locken last year, but I was working, you know, all day long, and so by the time the late night portion rolled yeah. around, I was already in bed. They're, um, they're, so they're, they're a surprising band to me. I, they they every time I've seen them, I've really just enjoyed the way they reinterpret and, and, and take out that music. And I'm different. I I did not like them at first. I thought they were frantic with the tempos. I also heard them butcher Lazy Lightning in a gathering of the vibes, but then over time, I've they've grown. I feel like they're they've saved the frantic stuff for improv, which is fine and they they're a little more true to the comp, composed section and then they just played at Candler Park here that in was the so spring good. and it was just outstanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just dropped a freaking bomb on Candler it, Park. You know, as, as far as my my opinion goes uh, i think there's the new benchmark for grateful dead cover bands uh, just because you know not only are they, they they true to the repertoire but they take it in new places that it's never been before and where i think the grateful dead would have liked to take those songs had they you know had the forethought that it could go there and the grateful dead <laughs> always said that any song could open up at any time anywhere but i, I don't 
I don't know if that was necessarily the case. There were some examples of that. But with J-Rod, it really is. They don't talk about where they're going to improvise, and, and it can blow up and go way out there at, at, at any point legitimately. That, that, that they truly embody the ethos that the dead used to talk about embodying, but I don't know if they did to the hilt the way J-Rod does. You agree with that? Right. Uh, Bob Webb seems to be on board. He came out and did a few tunes with him. Now, they also did Terrapin after Phil had done Terrapin, right? Not the whole album, just the song, right? Well, I think it was just a tease. Oh, okay. All right. Good. And uh, and Keller Keller did a, uh, a tease, too, uh, from that album near his set. Yeah. Well, Keller is a tease, so. Yeah. <laughs> and real quick, the festival ending with Phil, with Mo, you liked, you liked that? That was pretty good. Um, you know, Phil's vocals were a little rough that night um but it was still fun yeah i don't i don't need to hear him sing the other one he could have his son his son was out there sitting in another one i don't why not let his son sing it but really sweet to hear al and chuck's guitar melding with with phil's bass it was really nice now this year we saw lock and bring back the circle stage where you know the it's this spinning stage so one band's setting up while another band's playing did anyone play into the other band did they like trant did they like you know, pass the baton, or is it all dead stops and starts? Um, there, there was nothing that was passed on, but there were some bands that that nailed that transition where, when the last note ended, the first note started. One being the revivalist, I would imagine. I saw a little bit of footage on that. Uh, it's very possible I missed I missed the beginning of their set, so I couldn't mm-hmm. say. Well, I'll tell you, they are they are a big time band now. I mean, they, they are they deliver. Is, they're, uh, they're they're blowing up, and their sound is 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 uh, improving with it, so they seem fit to mm-hmm. play the rooms they're about to have to get into and play, you know? And what about attendance? Uh, you've been at other lock-ins. Was uh, this lock-in well-attended? I heard attendance was down. It was uh, a fraction of what was there last year. Hmm. Guess you uh, need more well, of, you, can need, you need the whole jacket and not just a sleeve of the jacket. Uh, I'll tell kudos, you. But kudos to the lock-in planners for you know, reimagining the site and making it a much smaller footprint oh yeah because uh, you know some of the complaints i heard last year were, were some people had to walk well over a mile from their campsite to the main stage last year and uh nobody probably had to walk walk more than say a quarter of a mile this year to get there uh, i go to festivals work. to lose weight man i'll never <laughs> complain and the weather oh. seemed to be in favor this year huh oh the weather was perfect it wasn't uh, 110 degrees i don't know i think it, as hot as it got was maybe 79 or 80 that's amazing last year was brutal and you know we all we all love the grateful dead they still probably are my favorite band but is there a chance that that festival's too reliant on the dead and that maybe they they limit their draw by overdoing it um it's possible you know there there was definitely a a heavy dead uh programming there but you know there's a lot of deadheads and uh that's kind of what it's always been about so and there's no more gathering of the vibes, Rob. So they got to go That's somewhere. Right. Well, uh, ticket sales aren't aren't uh, <laughs> exactly underscoring what you're saying. Well, and um, as as we uh, get to the conclusion here, I wanted to just pick your thoughts here a little bit more, Lee, on just getting an update. Uh, Homegrown Music Network. That's also where I got my start through your catalog and being one of your reps. What's new with the Homegrown Music Network? And, and what do you have to offer if an artist, a young artist, that's coming up? Tell them what you have to offer them in today's music uh, business climate. Well, you know, our, our specialty is still uh, uh, physical distribution and, and marketing to the right audience. You know, if they fit into our 
to the genres that we love, you know, jam bands and anything related to that. Um, we also have a, uh, a budget-minded uh, radio promotion service um, that we would provide for, for artists on the rise. So those are kind of the highlights. There's definitely a lot more, and, and uh, bands can hit our website, hungrymusic.net, and learn about that. You still doing the uh, venue rep programs or uh, the marketing rep programs? Um, it's still there, but it's not as active as it used to be. Uh, um, you know, our, uh, Chris Robbie was our front man on that, and when he uh, left the company, I you know just kind of let that fade away a little bit. He's an Atlanta boy. Yeah, or Rome. He was from Rome, Georgia, I think. Hey, you know, Atlanta, Rome, Atlanta. You know, he's a good dude, good little dude. So, Lee, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate all the support you've given bands over the years. You and definitely are, uh, are are a key f- figure in in this scene. Bands and fans, you've been. Yeah, you know. I mean, look if you, if if you've been to a music festival, there's a chance you've come across the Homegrown Music Network. I, they're kind of like the brick store when it comes to beer to music. You know, where you go to you go to Lee or anyone at Homegrown Music Network when you're at a festival, you go to their booth, you kind of talk about a little bit of something. They have all this knowledge, and they'll find they'll they'll go through stuff and be like, oh, you should try this, you should try this, and you walk away with six different bands you never heard of, and then they become your favorite bands. That is their specialty. And let's be real, Seth, the music industry's littered with self-interested pricks, and Lee is a real, true, kind person who cares genuinely cares about people other than himself in a large way and, and uh and truly homegrown yes truly homegrown yeah. hey and i'm always just a phone call or email away so if, you know somebody wants to call up and you know pick my brain and try to get turned on some new bands i'm, I'm here for them give your info uh well number is uh 806 leeway that's 800-653-3929 or you can hit me lee at homegrownmusic.net all right, All right, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Take care. We we'll hope to see you down the road. Take us home. Say, here's some fresh big something music. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's listen to some fresh big something. Standing in line, losing my mind, and I don't know why. 
Cause every day is a gift from the sun And the moon and the stars Even when it gets so hard Cause it's a fire that's allowed in your mind when you find The sun sometimes are pointing in the wrong direction But we still got a long way to go You think we'd ever make it this far It's going by in a blink of an eye So hard to get a little time just to slow down And I don't know why Cause yesterday it's all just history You know tomorrow is a mystery And I'm so glad I got you here with me While we are somewhere in between Cause every day is a gift from the sun And the moon and the stars even when it gets so hard Cause it's a fire that's allowed in your mind when you find The signs sometimes are pointing in the wrong direction But we still got a long way to go Boy Best, how you feeling out there?